Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We're a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, the facility we're building designed for the energizing and growth of men, or would like to financially partner with us in our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. So I was thinking back to uh, my first building I ever bought as a business owner um, was in Hammond, Indiana. So it's a really nice area in Indiana if you've ever been there, Northwest Indiana. So think steel mills, defunct, rundown, you know, pretty, pretty bad. So, and I don't have much money. My building that I did own just burned to the ground a, a year earlier. So I got no building, I need a place to go. I'm renting this high price rent in Chicago. So I go back to Hammond, Indiana and think I'm gonna find a piece of real estate here. And I find this building owned by uh, Hammond Valve, Rainbird owns this thing and it's done, it's shut down. It's about 150,000 square feet and it's sitting on seven acres. I'm like, this is perfect. And then I get inside and there's a garden there and uh, he's showing me around and he's like, hey man, what are you gonna do in here? And I said, well, I'm gonna make some food ingredients. They, man, you crazy, man, what are you talking about food? This was a brass foundry. You don't make food in a brass foundry. And I'm like, he's probably right. So I'm like, oh, this is probably a bad idea. So I'm wandering around this thing and I'm looking around, I'm like, this is it. Like, this is my new home. I can feel it, like this is it, but it was a mess. And it was a mess. I mean, it was just torn up, beat up. I mean, I walked in this thing one time and there was rain and the water's pouring into the, out of, out of the roof into the main warehouse. It looked like a water feature at Disney, you know? And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, yeah, the roof's torn there, man. It needs a repair. I'm like, a repair? <laughs> like, we, we need a boat. So <laughs> that same rainstorm, I made it out to the docks and the water was up to your knees. And I, I'm, I'm with the guard, I'm like, what's up with the pond? And he's like, well, the drains in the street are all plugged up. I'm like, oh no. But something in me just kept saying, I see it, man. Like I picture this plant. I think I know what to do here. Um, and I bought it. <laughs> all on debt, trust me, I didn't have a penny, right? So I go borrow all this money and I go buy this hunk of junk and I'm in there and I'm having a blast, man. I'm stripping copper out of this plant, like copper wire, and I'm going to the junkyard and I'm getting cash, like thousands of dollars a night in cash from copper wire. And I'm going home and my wife's like, are you doing drugs or something? Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm pulling copper out of the plant. I'm covered in lead dust, you know, cause there's lead everywhere. It's a brass foundry, right? There's just lead everywhere. It's toxic as you can imagine. And I'm just having a ball. I mean, I love this place. I could see the potential in it. I mean, I just could. I'm like, this has got potential. And I had learned that from my stepfather. My stepfather had been buying some old properties in Northwest Indiana and renovating them. And I remember working for him in the summers and I'd be on a torch cutting pipes and pulling stuff out and learned how to take an old building and turn it into something better, you know? And my stepdad used to say, one man's junk is another man's gold. And I'm like, that's me, man. I dig that, right? And I, uh, I think about God looking at us through that same lens. And he's kind of looking at us. He's like, man, <laughs> you all are in bad shape, man. Like, this is not looking good. We got rain leaking in everywhere and ponds and 
old wires I can't use. It's just like, whew, man, you boys are bad. But then on the other hand, he's like, but I created them and I know what they got in them, man. I know, I know their potential. You guys know I still own that plant. It's 200,000 square foot plant now. We got 200 employees who run seven days a week, run around the clock. I mean, we process 150 million pounds of food ingredients out of that plant every year. We do. And we took an old plant in Hammond, Indiana, and we turned it into a thriving place. We tore down some old houses, built a big parking lot. It looks really good. If you're ever in Hammond, Indiana, just a mile and a half off the interstate, go to Summer Street, and you're going to see something that looks pretty doggone good. We're proud of that. And that's how God feels about you, because he's got all these cool things inside of you, these hidden strengths. And when the Holy Spirit gets in there and he starts working on you and they start coming out, God's like, look at that old plant. Look at that thing coming back to life. I designed it. I know what it's got. I know the potential inside of it. And so when I hope you guys are thinking about yourself and you're really feeling like, man, I'm kind of an old, I'm just a beat up piece of garbage, man. I got a lot of things wrong with me. A lot of things wrong with me. I don't believe in myself. I've been hurt a lot. I'm scared. I'm frightened. I'm critical. I'm coarse. I don't use good language. I love money too much. I might look at too much porn. I mean, you're just looking at yourself through that lens and going, I don't think there's a whole lot of good God can use in me. I'm here to tell you, that's not how God sees you, man. He sees that but he sees past that. And he sees what's in you in a way that is like, no man, mm -mm, that ain't it. That's not the end of the story for you. I've got things that I put in you that are gonna really be amazing. And that's what I want you to think about tonight. And it's gonna show up in three areas. One is your brokenness, your brokenness from your past, your brokenness from your failures. And it's gonna show up in your forgiveness a unique gift that we have as Christians, our forgiveness. And last, these spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you, these hidden strengths that you often can't even see in yourself that God looks at and goes, man, you're amazing. I hope tonight you start to sense what those are in you and that you'll really wanna dig into those and figure out what they are. That's what I'm praying for you tonight. What's that deep sense of potential that you maybe are thinking's there but you just need God to show you what they are. What is that in you? What is that? In Romans 8, 28, God says this to us, and you know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what he's telling you is, I'll use that broken self of yours for my purpose. I'll use it, I will. You know, we suffer from brokenness in a couple ways. One of those is from our families growing up. A lot of us have had some brokenness in our families, and it makes us broken. And then our own sin life, right? Our own personal failures start to show up, and that causes some brokenness in us. Bad decisions, bad choices, and that's what God's saying. I can use all of that, you guys. You know, most men suffer from a broken family in their past. You can find something there. Not a lot of guys, but a lot more than you realize. I remember when my dad left, and I was a year and a, a, year and a half old, and I got to about somewhere in the four range. I remember about being two or three, but I remember when I got in the four or five-year-old range, I really could sense him not being around. And here's some of the pictures of why. I remember living with my grandma. My mom had left and gone to Chicago to try to find a job where she could get insurance for us. We lived south of Houston, Texas, and I lived with my grandma. And I remember watching grandma get in the car, angry as a hornet, 
and driving around and telling me to duck down and she had a butcher knife in the front seat because she was going to cut off the genitals of her husband because he was cheating on her and we were going to go find him. That's what I remember as a little boy. That scared the heck out of me, you guys. It scared the heck out of me. And I would watch them fight and argue and, and just bicker with each other. And then I'd watch that with my grandma and her siblings, you know, and I'd see that kind of thing going on. And it scared the tar out of me, you guys. It just really, really scared me. And then my mom remarried a guy and he was a good man. He was a good man, but he also had a dark side to him. He would drink a lot. He'd put himself into all kinds of high risk situations that would fail. And then he'd start to drink and I would watch them fight and argue and scream and attack each other. And it just scared the tar out of me, you guys. And I remember in those times feeling, I wonder what it would have been like if my real dad had stayed alive. I just wonder what that would have been like. It was hard. I remember just feeling anxious and lonely all the time, scared, abandoned, unsafe. But you know what happened with that over time? As I started to heal and God introduced himself to me and Jesus brought to me, he, he started to show me that that sensitivity that you have towards men comes from that. I felt the sensitivity towards guys. I could almost walk down a room and with two or three guys and I could almost tell you which guy had a problem with his dad growing up or his dad wasn't there. I could, without a word spoken, I could almost walk in a room and, and, and walk right to the guy that I know who was hurting because his dad had left him too. I got a sensitivity to it from that childhood years. And God healed some of those wounds enough where I could use that sensitivity to connect to guys like that. I could be in their space and say, I know what that feels like, man. Like, I know how bad that hurts. I didn't like it, but it gave me a sensitivity to men. You know, it always gives you a gateway when you've got an emotional pain like that. And Jesus says that emotional pain, it's going to be there. And you know what? It's never going to go away but the pain of it affecting you will stop. It will stop controlling your behavior and I'll start to use it where it helps you reach other men. It'll help you. And so if you've got something like that in your past, don't think that that pain is gonna be useless and that it's always gonna plague you and cause you to be tormented by it. That's not what God says. He says in all things, in everything, I'm gonna use those things for a good purpose and for your good purpose. So ask yourself right now, what issue from your family is causing you emotional pain? What issue from your family is causing you emotional pain? And then God uses our bad decisions to break us up, to, to break us down, right? To really break us down. He uses those bad decisions. And we saw that in the story tonight, didn't we? The story of Peter, where Peter boldly states to Jesus, I will never leave you, man. I'll be there for you. I'll die for you. He was there saying that, and then three times he denies Peter when he sees Jesus being, get, getting ready to go to the cross. Peter thought Jesus was going to be the king. He didn't think he was going to die a, a death of a criminal. Peter didn't think he aligned himself to a criminal. He thought he aligned himself to a king. And now he's looking at his decision and go, I made a stupid decision. What the heck was I thinking? This guy's dying on a cross. He's so scared and felt so dumb, he ran at the first time he's accused. So now he's looking at himself and thinking, I can't believe this. He's ashamed. He's afraid. He's hiding. He feels humiliated in front of the other disciples. I mean, this is the Peter looking at himself now. And it's not till Jesus' resurrection that Peter's restored. And Jesus restores him, doesn't he? He restores him. He looks at him and said, I know you failed. Let's go over it again. 
but I'm going to ask you to do something now. And you see this restoration and you learn from what happens in this, what happens when we do the same kind of dumb things. And we have, haven't we, guys? I mean, think about the dumb stuff you've done in your life. Stupid, stupid decisions you made. Just dumb decisions. I remember I, had, I was writing this and I thought, I remember in eighth grade, I'm on a bicycle going down this giant hill in Geneva, Illinois, where I lived. And I was drunk, drunk in eighth grade. And I'm going down a hill and I'm getting to the bottom of the hill and the brakes on the bike won't work. And there's a car sitting at the stoplight. And I'm like, looks like this because I'm going to hit this car and I'm going to get killed. Somehow I, I laid the bike down and slid underneath the car and the tires of the car stopped my bike and I lived. I don't know how that happened. I don't know what happened there. But it was stupid, man. Like that was stupid, stupid stuff. And you're like, how do I do stupid stuff like that and get restored? But that's what God does. He restores you. He brings you back. But when you come back from those stupid things, you become more humble. You will. You become more humble. And you know what happens with humble people? They take direction and they listen, don't they? You're more inclined when you've been broken like that to say, you know, what? I'm going to listen now. I think I'm going to shut my mouth. And I think I'm going to listen a little bit more. And you saw that in Peter. Jesus said, listen, don't leave Jerusalem. He's resurrected. He said, Peter, don't leave Jerusalem. You stay here now and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then when he does, I want you to go do some stuff. I want you to be my witness. And Peter's like, I understand, Jesus. I'm not budging. I'll sit right here. And he listened. He was humble. His humbleness caused him to be way more useful to God. And that's what happens when you're broken. You get humble and you're way more useful to God in that situation. And, bro and, and you also see this humbleness show up in him where these broken people understand how failure feels, right? I mean, this is one of the great things that you learn when you, when you get broken is you understand how failure feels. And so when you see somebody fail, how different are you? You're different, aren't you? When you watch somebody fail, you're not so quick to go, what an idiot, what a dummy, jerk, you know, acting like a fool, you fool. You don't do that as much, do you? When you've been broken and you've really been broken, you zip it up now. You're kind of like, you know what? That dude failed, so did I. Guys, I got so many men that work for me that, and women too that have come out of prison or still in prison. And you know why? Because I look at them and go, that could have easily been me. 20 times, 100 times over, I could have been in prison. So many stupid decisions. And somehow I never got caught. And I don't know why. I don't know why. But I look at people like that now when they come work for me. And I don't look at them and say, you loser. Get your act together. I'm like, dude, God uses broken people, man. You've been given a second chance. And we'll give you a second chance. We'll love you. We'll care for you. We'll be here. We'll walk with you through this, all right? That's a difference. You have a different heart towards people when they fail, when you've been failing too. And you know what broken people also do? They share God's grace with honesty and believability. Don't you? When you felt God's grace, you don't sound like a pompous idiot that's standing up at a pulpit, do you? Because you can say, you know what? I'll just tell you something. This is the stuff that I did, and this is what God did for me. I just want you to know that like I have been where you are 10 times over. You don't sound like a pompous idiot standing in front of a pulpit, you know, and I'm not saying pastors are like that. I'm just saying sometimes we get as guys pretty arrogant about our goodness in us, right? And we, and guys come across and you're like, you're a Christian. You're like, yeah, I got it all together. And they're like, 
well, I don't really want to be one of you because I don't think you got it all together. But when you've been broken, you don't come across that way anymore because you're like, dude, no, man, I don't have it all together and I never will. Jesus pulled me together. He keeps me together. And I see you're struggling with some of the same stuff I am. And man, I can feel that and I know that. And that honesty is believable. That's believable. And that lack of fakeness draws people to Jesus. That's what draws them to Jesus. So broken men are a lot easier to follow than really cocky, arrogant Christian men, right? That think they got it all together. There's a big difference. And guys are a lot more likely to follow a guy that doesn't appear to have it all together. And the other thing broken people do well is they embrace their weakness. They embrace their weakness. Yeah, you walk in and you're like, man, I am weak today, man. I get to work and I'm just a mess. I'm broken. I feel terrible. You get home, you had a bad day at work. I mean, I used to walk in and my wife, I'd get home from work and I'd just be mean and angry and snappy and critical. And now when I'm mad and having a bad day, I just come in. I'm like, oh, it's been terrible. I'm in a bad mood. I feel terrible. I'm just an idiot right now. I, I will do nothing good in this next 10 minutes. And I hope you can just understand that. And my wife gets that. She's like, I see the weak you. And I love the weak you. And I'm okay with the weak you. And that's way better for me than trying to hide it or try to be mean and arrogant to control things. So we learn from Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And it's your weakness that's made perfect and it's my weakness. God says, when you're weak, man, that's when I get strong. And I love that in you. And that's what brokenness does to us, you guys. We get weak and God gets strong. He shows up in us. You know what a lot of guys do when they get broken? They hide in the shadows. You see this a lot. If you look at churches, there's a lot of women serving in churches and a lot of men sitting in the pews watching. And the reason for that is because we get humiliated by our failures. We're guilty. We feel bad. We don't want people to know. And so we just stay in the background. We just stay hiding, stay in the shadows. And God's like, dude, don't do that. I know you're broken, man. I know you do some stuff. I know you've been harsh with your wife. I know you've looked at pornography. I know you've had a tough time gambling. I know you are an alcoholic. I know you're still addicted to drugs. I know that about you. But you know what? I love you. And that brokenness is what I want to use in you. So you come out of the shadows and you get known. Because when you get known, we're going to do some good work with you. God doesn't want you hiding, guys. So what loss or wounds have had a significant impact on you? What loss or wounds have had a significant impact on you? And how can you envision God using that for something good? How can you envision that? Our second hidden strength is our ability to truly forgive those who hurt us. And guys are kind of like, how is that a hidden strength? I'm going to tell you, it is a hidden strength. When you learn how to say you're sorry, you are uniquely Christian. And it makes you unique because very, very few people and very few Christians say they're sorry. And a Christian man that says he's sorry is a unique person. And it gives you an incredible amount of hidden strength that God takes full advantage of. You just got to know that, guys. Being able to say, I'm sorry, is a powerful thing. You know, as guys, we are deeply, deeply guilty of stuff. And we feel it. And we think, man, what is that? And it's guilt. 
and you know what it is and you want to get rid of the guilt. You don't want it to be there. You want it to be absolved. We deeply desire to come clean and receive God's forgiveness. We do. When you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in you, it's one of the first things he does is he puts this passion in you, this desire to get clean, to be clean before him, right? To get clean from him. When the Holy Spirit comes to you the first time and you haven't come to Christ, it's one of the first things he makes clear to you is you've been running from me, man, and you're guilty, dude. Like you got some bad stuff going on in you, Bill. Bad stuff. And it's not good. And you know it's not good. So you just need to come to your father and say, Father, what am I doing? Forgive me for this. And he loves that, man. First Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring you to God. He wants to bring you to God, the stained, broken, sinful you. He wants to bring you to God so you can say, God, please forgive me. Forgive me, God. Isn't that what you want, guys, when you're in that sin state? You just want to stand before God and say, I know it, I know it. Please, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And God's like, I want to restore you. That's why I made my son Jesus a human being, to come to die on the cross so you'd have a way for you to get right with me. I put him there. So when you're saved, God forgives you. That's what he does. It's the first thing he does. When you get saved, he, sa he forgives you. That's a powerful moment, guys. But you got to believe you need saving. And you got to believe that you're wrong. That's hard for most men. They just don't believe they're wrong. Even as followers of Jesus and we keep sinning, that sinning keeps you away from God. And you've got to quit hiding your sin from God and you got to go to him. Because it's keeping you from him and it's keeping you from him a lot. So you got to stop the hiding and you got to go to God and say, Lord, forgive me. I need to come clean. I got to come clean. What sin do you need to confess that, God, that you need God to forgive today? What is it, guys? And if you're feeling something and you can't put your finger on it, say, God, reveal to me the sin that I'm feeling guilty for. And he will. God gave us his ability to forgive. He gave us that ability. It's an important thing to remember. You've been given the power to forgive. It's in you. It's in you. No matter what's going on, you have a power in you, and that's the power to forgive. How do you know that? Number one, you're made in his image. You're made in God's image, and God has forgiven us. He's shown that through his son, Jesus, so you know that. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to remind you of his commands, Jesus' commands. And Jesus commanded in Matthew 6, he said, you must forgive. He didn't say you can, or you might be able to, or you should. He said, you have to, because if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. He commanded you to forgive, right? So if he gave you that command, then you know one thing is for certain. He gave you the ability to do it. Everything God commands you to do, he gave you the ability to do it. He wouldn't command you to do it if he didn't give the ability to do it. You have the ability in you. And then he says, not only did I give the ability to do it, in Luke 17, I gave you the ability to do it many, many times. You can forgive over and over. You have an endless capacity to forgive inside of you guys. And most of us don't really believe that. Unforgiveness also causes us to become evil. When you don't forgive, when you say, no, I'm not going to go that, now you become the source of the evil. You become the source of the evil. We become bitter and angry when we don't forgive people. Everyone here knows that. When you've become hurt, you become bitter and angry, and now you become the source of the evil when you hold that bitter and anger, anger in. Paul said, do not let the sun set on your anger. Why? 
Do not make room for the devil. So when you hold in that anger, you're making room for the devil. What does that mean? That, mean becomes, that means you become the source of the evil. The devil moves in and now you're working for him, not God. You just switch teams. You're holding in the bitterness and anger. You're on the other team now. The devil uses that anger in you and you become the evil. Revenge propagates evil. Your anger accelerates the revenge. And anger and bitterness show up in your words and actions. You can hide it, but everybody around you feels it. When you've got anger and bitterness in you, we all can feel it. You just take an angry, bitter guy and walk him in the room. I bet you could walk a guy in a room in one of these groups. And the minute he starts talking, you're like, wow, I wonder what that guy's angry about. I wonder why he's bitter. You can feel it, can't you guys? So when you think you're hiding your anger and bitterness, you're not. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. I talked to my, one of my plant managers. Uh, he's a new guy working for us a couple weeks ago. And I, I said, uh, his name's Steve. I said, Steve, do you think the, the people that know you've only been here maybe three or four weeks, do you think when, when you're having a bad day, they know? He's like, no, no, I hide it pretty good. I, so I just picked somebody. He said, hey, uh, so and Steve. I said, Steve, when, uh, when Steve's bitter, uh, uh, having a bad day, do you know? And he said, oh, yeah, he goes like this. And then I said, hey, hey, uh, 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 Al, what's he doing? He goes, oh, he goes like, and he says this. And he actually, so like four or five people all described how he looks when he's having a bad day. I said, Steve, you've been here like four weeks, and these guys all know when you're having a bad day. Are they right he's like you gotta be kidding me I'm like so you think you're hiding your bitter and anger it's not hidden guys everybody sees it and you pass it on it moves in and when it moves in with your family you should be very careful with that because that can move through generations it cannot just stop at you it might move through generations and we see that we're working with a lot of young men who've got generational anger from their fathers and from their father's father. This cut gets propagated when it doesn't get resolved, you guys. When anger does not come out and your bitterness doesn't get resolved, it gets propagated through your family and it blocks your heart from loving anyone and including God. It blocks it, it shuts you down. You can't love, you can't love God and you can't love others. The only way to stop evil is for somebody to forgive. You guys believe that? The only way to stop evil is for somebody to forgive. That's the only way. It's like somebody has to take the spear into them and then the spear can't be used anymore. And they receive it and they die and they hold the spear so it can't be used anymore. When a bee stings you, the stinger comes off in your hand and the bee dies typically because the, bee, the stinger's in your hand. You've received it and the, and the evil ends right there. This is what it's like, guys. When evil is absorbed by a Christian man through forgiveness, the propagation of evil ends. And this is what we do that's uniquely Christian and it's a strength that we've been given and it's hidden. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that good is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. What anger or resentment are you holding right now? Who do you need to forgive? The other thing that happens with this forgiveness piece is that you get released from deep pain and anguish. You get released. It ends the pain. It brings freedom. Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And you know how he sets you free? He brings you to the Father where you get to be forgiven. And when you forgive, you are bringing freedom and you are being freed 
from the burden of the anger and the bitterness and the sin of unforgiveness. Paul says we are slaves to our sin. Unforgiveness is a sin that keeps, suffer, keeps you suffering more than anyone else. You pay the highest price when you don't forgive. You know the biggest source of domestic violence in the United States comes from? Home, uh, unforgiving spouses. It's the biggest source of domestic violence, unforgiving spouses. They can't forgive. And you guys all know how hard that is, don't you? It's hard, isn't it, being married? Some of the toughest times you have trying to forgive your own spouse. Unbelievable, isn't it? The greatest pain is being at odds with my wife. That's my greatest pain. Any day that I'm at odds with my wife, I just can't, I can't find peace in my soul. I can't sleep. I can't rest. I can't think. I can't work. I just can't function when I'm at odds with my wife. Your greatest emotional trauma comes from your broken relationships, guys. And your broken relationships are primarily driven through unforgiveness. Your greatest joy and relief of anxiety is when you fix broken relationships through forgiveness. What emotional pain for you needs to end? Where does it going to end for you, guys? Forgiveness is a gateway to deeper relationships. Those who forgive are unique. We're unique, guys. We're very unique. People don't usually forgive. You know what they mostly do? Walk away. They mostly walk away. They try to forget and they just move on and they never resolve it and they never will forget because it'll always be in their heart and mind. It doesn't work. Walking away doesn't work. Most people use that. When we forgive, we help people find peace, you guys. When you forgive another person, you help that person find peace in their soul. It's a gift. It's the most loving thing a Christian man can do and it makes us uniquely Christian. It makes us something special in God's planet. We're the only species that has this ability to forgive. A dog can't forgive. It can't, but a man can. And it makes us so incredibly powerful when we love somebody enough to forgive them. Corey Tenboom said she, she was, uh, her family was killed by the Nazis in uh, Nazi Germany. And she said, we never touch the ocean of God's love so much as when we love our enemies. It's a joy to accept forgiveness but it is almost a greater joy to give forgiveness. Jesus makes it clear that we are in commands on how, on how to forgive in Matthew 18. He makes it really clear, 18, 15 through 17. He says, go to the other person one-on-one. And then he says, meet with two people. If you can't get a resolution, bring someone else. And then he says, go back to the church. And then the next statement he says is, if that doesn't work, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And people often think, oh, that means kick them to the curb. That's not what that means. That means start the process over as if they aren't a believer. That's what that means. Start the process over as if they don't know me. And now look at it from that perspective and then you go back again. And you start to think and you think, okay, how can I introduce them to Jesus? Because that stuff didn't work. They didn't act like a believer. So they must not believe in Jesus. So I'm gonna go back as if they aren't. That's what he's talking about. That's powerful, you guys. And what he really is saying in here is stop gossiping. Stop it. Please stop gossiping. Don't go tell somebody else what someone else did to you. Don't do that. That's so damaging. So damaging. And that also allows you to dump the responsibility of forgiveness on somebody else. And the somebody else that got that dumped on is not very happy when you do that. They're just not. It's just not a kind thing to do, you guys. 
That kind of happens sometimes in these bigger groups of meetings where somebody says something to somebody else and then they seek me out for me to fix what got broken between two people as if somehow that's my responsibility, right? It's like, so some guy said something and the other guy said something and they didn't like what they each heard or whatever. And then they come to me and they're like, well, you gotta fix that. Well, I got planned 400 people. I've gotten to know how to do that, right? So I don't live in that space. So I'm like, okay, well, if you go talk to the other person and he talks to you and you guys can come tell me you talk to each other, then I'll sit down and talk to you. But until then, I ain't talking, right? Like, I ain't in this game. You're not abdicating your responsibility on me because it's not mine, it's yours. It's up to you to go work that out, not mine, yours. And we do that a lot, don't we, guys? And that's the wrong thing to do. If you got something going on with another guy, you need courage and you need honesty. And you go and you say, hey, I need to talk to you. And gently and carefully and lovingly present your case, all right? That's what we do, one-on-one first. And then there's a good book, if you've got some deep forgiveness you need to work on, a guy named Everett Worthington wrote called Forgiving and Reconciling. It's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book. His, his mom was murdered, and he had to figure out how to, how, to, how to forgive the guy that murdered his mom. And he tells that story and helps you walk through this process called REACH, R-E-A-C-H. It's an acronym for how, how we go about forgiving. And one of the first things he says you got to do is remember the hurt. You got to remember the hurt and you got to sit there with another guy, a couple brothers, and you got to exhaust the story to tell them what happened. It may take two, three, four visits to sit with a couple brothers to share what happened and to say, this is how this unfolded and remember the hurt in the, in the fullest amount of detail that you can. Don't excuse it and don't ignore it. Do not do that. Some people say you should forget. You'll never forget a hurt. And that's a really bad expectation is that when I've been hurt that I'll forget. You won't forget. You'll never forget. So to think somehow that you will is, a, is a really a bad idea, you guys. What you want to do is remember the hurt and then remember the healing you got when you forgave and how the power of Jesus Christ transformed you so that you can teach another man, here's what happened to me and it hurt. It really hurt, but it doesn't hurt anymore. And here's why. And so God wants you to remember the hurt so you can teach another brother how, not to go, how to go through reconciliation with another brother. So don't put an expectation that it shouldn't hurt. It should hurt. And the other expectation that you shouldn't have is that the other person's going to want to reconcile. That's not always going to happen. It's just not, you guys. My stepfather left, I mean, my father left when I was a year and a half old. I've never seen him since. He's never come back. He hurt me a lot. My life's been damaged by that. A lot. And the way I healed from that is in, in, uh, in this book uh, by Everett Worthington, he tells you to get an empty chair. And it sounds stupid. I know it does. But I did it. I sat with an empty chair, a couple guys with me, and I talked to my father. And it took a half hour because I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop crying. And I came back another day and did it again. And, and the crying was less, but it took another half hour. And I just said how I felt to him. And I can't tell you how therapeutic that was. I know it sounds stupid, guys. I'm telling you, I know it does. But it helped me say to him what I needed to say to him, and it helped me say goodbye to him, and it helped me forgive him. It really did help me forgive him. And so he can't reconcile. He can't, re he can't repent. I I'll never see that. But I didn't need to. I didn't need to. And so my point is, people don't want to repent sometimes, and it's okay. You don't need to worry about that. But you do need to forgive because it'll help you heal. That's a big deal. Who has God brought to your mind right now? Who do you need to forgive? Lisa Gortz lost her family in the Jewish Holocaust in Germany. 
And before escaping from Germany herself, she became a Christian as a result of seeing a vision of Jesus, a fellow Jew suffering on the cross from the sins of humanity in her book, I Stepped Into Freedom. She wrote this, slowly I walk on carrying my sins daily to the cross, then returning to struggle along my life's path on which the slanting rays of a setting sun already cast a shadow. I still weep when I think of a tall blonde man who was my husband. My heart aches with longing when I see a lovely slender little girl and a sunny-haired little boy. My thoughts turn mournfully to my mom and my brother buried somewhere in an unknown grave in what is now to me a foreign country. I know that only God himself will wipe away all these tears when I see my Lord in glory. But you know, there's no bitterness or hatred in my heart. One can't live with bitterness and hatred. There is the peace of God in me and a reflection of his divine love, which makes me love my fellow men, whether they are black or yellow or white, whether they are Jews or Christians, whether they belong to this denomination or that. They're God's families, my sisters and my brothers. Men, we can have an incredible source of strength in us when we forgive. We have a gift from God that makes us incredibly good in this world. But you know, you'll never forget being hurt. And forgetting is really not that valuable. But remembering the depth of the pain and expressing your forgiveness is way more valuable to this world. And you can live free of that bitterness and hatred when you choose to forgive. The last thing I want to touch on that Jesus points out is that we've been given these spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. He's put them inside of us, you guys, these beautiful spiritual gifts. And I asked you to go on this website to explore what they were, and I hope you guys did. I hope you went on there and figured out what your spiritual gifts are. But they're hidden. They're out of view. Most of us can't see them. I couldn't see mine for a long, long time. It didn't make sense to me. And 1 Corinthians 12, 7 describes them. It says that we've been given these gifts, given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he says to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is interesting. So God's called us, to, he's called us out and he said, I put my Holy Spirit in you and I've given you these gifts now and they're unique and you can't even see them in you yet. You gotta discover these, you gotta find these and the way you discover them is you start to serve the body of Christ. You've been given a set of tools that are unique to you, to you, specifically you, that work in combination with your brokenness and your forgiveness and your natural talent so you may help the body of Christ mature. This group of people mature. That's why we meet in groups, so men can help each other mature, so we can grow up, so we fix the things in our head that are broken. God made it that way. That's what those gifts are for. They're specifically for that. So let me give you an example. Two weeks ago, I talked about how I had committed my life to teaching the Bible and that my business grew three times the size of that because of that, or seven times. I don't even remember what the number was I used, but it was a big number. It's been a big number. And I got two people that came up and said, that's the prosperity gospel. You're teaching the wrong thing, Bill. That's bad theology. And I said, well, that's not what I meant. And I said, well, that's what you said. And so I could take that one of two ways. I could say, that's not what I meant, and I don't appreciate you saying that to me. Or I could say, wow, that's not what I meant. 
I'm sorry. And so for guys that heard that, I'm sorry. And thank you for the men that said, Bill, I don't think your theology's right. That's not my theology. I don't believe teaching the Bible makes you rich. And I don't believe you should do anything for Jesus to make you rich. And I don't think Jesus is a genie in the bottle. I don't think you can just pray and get rich. I don't think you want to do that, guys. That's wrong. And I don't believe that anywhere in my soul. But I had a couple guys that had enough courage to say, hey, Bill, you might want to change the way you say that so guys don't think that if they teach the Bible, they're going to get rich. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I don't want people to think that. That's how the body works. So the question is, how, how open are you to be corrected? How open are you to have another guy say to you, hey, do you sure you got that right? Have you, are you sure you read that the right way? So when you're in your groups and somebody starts teaching something and you're like, man, I think he might have that off a little bit, you know? I don't think that theology's quite right. Don't attack people, guys. The guys that came to me were so gracious. They didn't attack me and say, what are you teaching? That's bad theology. Come on, man. They gave me the benefit of the doubt and said, man, I, I, I'm pretty sure you didn't mean that. And they were gentle and kind to me, right? That's how we treat each other, and then we help each other grow. That's what those gifts have been given to you for, is to grow the body. And the only way you're gonna discover what those gifts are is you gotta start serving the body. You do. You gotta learn those gifts, what they are, and then you gotta start serving the body of Christ, in particular, your local church. And this is why you gotta be a member of a local church, because you gotta start serving the church. And that's how you learn these spiritual gifts and how to use them. And you'll find some aren't what you have. I'm not supposed to teach sophomore Sunday school. That's a debacle for me. I screwed that up royally. I will never set foot in a sophomore Sunday school ever again in my lifetime, ever, not ever. I will never do that. But you know what I did do? I worked on men's ministries and that was good for me at my first church. I started a company where Jesus runs crazy through it and that was good for me. I worked in Africa for 10 years and started businesses and brought Jesus through business. I started a BSF class in Chicago that served thousands of men, and I helped start Heart of a Man here in Indy. And you know what's one thing? Most of it was outside the church. God uses guys like me that are really like a crazy horse, right? Just nutty, goofy, stupid, running all over the place. You put me in a sheep pen, I do a lot of damage. I'm a horse, I need to run on the range, right? I gotta be out on the field. And God uses that horse and says, I can use that wild animal, and I will I will break that Bronco and I will settle him down and we will put him to good use. And he does, you guys, and he has in my life and he helped me see those gifts and he put them to great use. What are your spiritual gifts and how will you start discovering your real potential? How will you do that? I met a man named Terry in Brookside, east side of town. He was illiterate and was in prison for many years for murder. He showed me the bullet holes in his stomach one night. That was a little weird lifted his shirt and said, look at all my bullet holes. I'm like, what else from, Terry? And he said, I was fighting with the cops who were shooting at each other and I took a bunch of bullets. Like, I don't have bullet holes. Um, you know how he, he was illiterate, guys, think about this. He was in solitary confinement and that's where he learned Jesus's name and he learned the Bible. He memorized the Bible. He was illiterate by somebody talking through the wall and teaching him the Bible one verse at a time. I'm telling you, I started crying. He works at Goodwill right now. On Saturdays, he cooks food all day, and on Sunday, he delivers food to people all through the neighborhoods. 
And that's how God's using him. And he, t- and he loves people and he cares for him. He's got mercy and compassion and he lives with people who are in poverty and he cares for him. And why would he care for him? Because he came from a broken family. He came from poverty. He came up from a place where that was on. And he understood those people and God broke him in prison and taught him the word of God. And now he uses his gifts to love and care for others. That was a pretty cool experience. God saw the hidden strengths of Terry when the rest of the world would prefer that he stayed in prison. God made us to expand this beautiful garden, guys, and put it globally all over the world. So his sanctuary is this whole world. He gave us Jesus to forgive us. He put his word in our heads, in our hearts, so we'd know it's truth and it would transform us. He empowered us with his Holy Spirit. And then he's embedded these hidden strengths in us that are energized and animated by the Holy Spirit so we can deeply connect with hurting and broken people and help transform their lives. Seeing your hidden value and the value in other men will happen when you ask three questions. How have I or you been broken? Who have I or you had to forgive? And what spiritual gifts did God me and you, give to me and you? Guys, I hope you will find those hidden strengths and put them to use this week and know that God has given you those for a really cool purpose and he will use you just the way you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. I love these guys, Lord. I love being with them. And I know how broken I am and I know how broken a lot of us are. It's so cool to know that you look at us like a brand new warehouse, Lord. Something beautiful that you can use. So thank you. Thank you. Lord, help us love each other enough that we help each other grow and mature and help us forgive each other often. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week, all right? Take care.